walk through the book of Acts from time to time. It's good for us to, to zoom out from the particular chapter that we're in and be reminded of the big picture of what God is doing in the book of Acts as we then prepare to look into our specific text today. In the opening chapter of Acts, so Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus commissions his disciples in this way. He says this, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we've been walking through the book of Acts and now we're in chapter 16. And, and where are we in Acts chapter 16? Well, Actually, the gospel is going forward to the very ends of the earth as, as in this chapter and the text we're in today, the gospel is breaking ground into Europe. The gospel had not been formally proclaimed in Europe. And as we will read today and we'll see on the map in just a few moments, the gospel is breaking new ground and God continues to be working to drawing people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to himself. But, but one of the interesting things about our text this morning is that, that how we see the kind hand of God drawing people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. You know, he does it one person at a time. We're going to encounter three people this morning in three different vignettes of God's grace at work through his power in Jesus' name. And, and each of these three people are responding to what the Lord is doing and, and we see, yes, this, this massive thing that God is doing as the gospel goes forward into Europe, but we see it through the lens of people like you and, and me, people who have joys and people who have struggles. Uh, God is accomplishing his mission. His mission rolls on, but the way that it's accomplished is through the preaching of his glorious gospel and through the change that he occurs in people's hearts as they hear that gospel. So we're going to read Acts 16. I'm going to start reading at verse 11. That's where we pick up the narrative. Uh, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. As we read, I remind you that this is the holy, perfect word of the Lord. Let us hear with eyes and hearts of faith. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remain in this city some days and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, 
having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them uh, to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But with a loud voice, Paul cried, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas then he brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved and they said believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and your household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these things to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we have just been addressed by the holy word of God. Lord, in this narrative, we see that you, you care about people. You care about Lydia. You care about that slave girl. You care, care about the jailer. And Lord, if you care about those people, what's true this morning is what was true back then, and that is that you care about us. You care about what's going on in our hearts and in our lives as well. And Lord, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would now attune us to your word, that we might see what it is you're saying to us through this story, 
and then go and do likewise by your power and with your help. Lord, that won't happen unless you help us. And so we ask for your help now. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that hear. Give us a mind to believe. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three things that I see God doing here. Uh, there are a lot more than three. And so I want you to know that I'm exercising uh, considerable restraint this morning, uh, I hope anyway, uh, in picking out just three, but, but three things I see God is doing here. First thing that God is doing, he is opening hearts to himself. God opens hearts to himself. So let, let's again set the stage. Paul and Silas were the ones who began this journey in in Antioch, they left and uh, Timothy joined them. Uh, last week we read how, how Paul had Timothy circumcised, he joined them. And at some point here in this narrative, uh, Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, starts using uh, we. So he includes himself, he joined this party of three, now making it four at some point. They had in our text last week been planning to go south into other parts, but if we can put that map up on the stage, there was this man of Macedonia who came and uh, in a vision to Paul and said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, where is Macedonia? You see it there at the top left. It's, it's almost out, but, but you see Macedonia there. When they got that vision, they were in Mysia on the northern part of Asia in Troas. They were there. That's when they got, Paul had this man of Macedonia, this vision of this man saying, come over and help. So they immediately after that vision, they set sail from that, that little dot to the left of where it says Mysia. They, they went from the coast there to the island of Samothrace. You see there in the middle, and then they landed there at Neapolis and then walked uh, about a day's journey, I, I understand, into the, the city of Philippi. Philippi is the one that has the, the, the line coming down into that box on below. It, I think it's just helpful to see because where we're talking about is now modern day Greece. So when I say that this is the first time that the gospel is breaking ground into Europe, you see it on the map there. It's, it's literally coming into a new, a new place, a new region, a new people. God is at work restoring and, and helping people one person at a time. Now, what is the city of Philippi? It was, it was founded by King Philip, this King Philip of Macedon. He was... He was a particularly good ruler. He established this city for a lot of Roman purposes. So this was a Roman colony. It had its own magistrates. This was a significant city. And in this city, there is, because it's not necessarily a Jewish land, there's, there's no tabernacle to go to. And so we pick up the narrative when it says on the Sabbath day, Paul and his party uh, desiring to worship, they went down outside the gates of the city. They went down to the river that was in the middle of the, or adjacent to, excuse me, to the next, to the city. And they went down there because there were some gathering there, some people who were praying. They were, uh, from the text, they were all, as best we can tell, they were all ladies. They were all women. And they spoke the word of the Lord to them. 
And this is when Lydia, this dear woman, uh, this seller of purple, comes onto the scene. Now, who is Lydia? It, it says she's from the city of Thyatira. Uh, why is that important? Well, that city produced uh, purple dyes. And purple dyes were expensive dyes because they were, first of all, hard to come by. Second of all, uh, those in royalty were ones who were usually adorned in purple. And so they were expensive gowns. This was an expensive trade. And, and it's, you know, historians say it's very likely that this woman, woman excuse me, was a lady of means. She dealt in expensive items. She was, in fact, the first recorded convert in all of Europe. So, I mean, Lydia is a special lady. It seems like she does have means because, you know, we heard her say, hey, come on to my, I mean, she has a house big enough to bring Paul and his three companions uh, and to host them for some time. So, so this appears to us like a lady of means, a lady who is hospitable. Uh, Luke says that she was, quote, a worshiper of God, which likely means that she was a Gentile who, as one commentator I read this week, uh, as he said, she was a Gentile who saw truth in Judaism and wanted it. So if we're reading the text as accurately as we can, though it says she was, she was you know, a worshiper of God, she had not yet crossed the threshold of faith and put her faith and trust in God. There was something about God that she revered and honored, but, but she hadn't crossed that, that threshold of faith and putting her trust in Jesus Christ alone. Maybe, maybe she had never heard of the name of Jesus Christ being so far away from Jerusalem. Paul proclaimed the gospel to her and the ladies gathered there. And in particular, Lydia said, of Lydia, it is said that God, God opened her heart. God, God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, what was Paul's message? Paul's message from the day of his conversion until the day of his death was the same. He didn't custom craft. He, he was faithful to that message of first importance. Paul's message was the message of hope in Jesus Christ. And as Paul was faithful to that message, God moved in the hearts of people. Why, why does the Luke narrow the focus here onto Lydia? I don't know why. But he does because he wants us to see something about the personal nature of our redeeming God. He loves people. He loves individuals. He loves you. He loved Lydia. And he opened her heart to be able to see and understand the gospel. God loves to open the hearts of people so that we can know him. God loves enabling our eyes to see so that we can see and treasure and savor Christ as our Lord. You know, yesterday a number of us gathered at the church office uh, with rakes and shovels and fresh loaves of bread. And we took time to pray before we went out into the community. And what, would, what did we pray before we went out into the community? We prayed, Lord, would you open the eyes of people that, you, that they may see you for who you are and believe the gospel? Why did we pray that? Because God is the one who stands in authority over all of salvation. God is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. So the man to whose house I went to rake his yard and, and clean up stuff with the Allbergers, a neighbor of theirs, this was a great opportunity. 
Um, we talked with him for a while. Uh, we got working, but I, I, just, I just remained in the, in the house with him for a few minutes, asking him a few questions about the Lord, asking him a few questions about things. And, and you know, as I'm talking with this man, I'm just asking, Lord, would you, would you open his eyes? Because I don't have the ability to. You don't have the ability to as we go out from, from this place to share the hope of the gospel with our coworkers and teammates and people that were all around. You know, we don't have the ability. God is the one that opened Lydia's heart. And God is the one that opens all the eyes of the people. And so, church, what, what do we learn from this? We learn that, yes, we have to be faithful to the message because we don't want to be tampering with the truth. But we can have the most sealed tight perfectly persuasive, effective message in all of the world in, in our presentation of the gospel. What saves is not the presentation. What saves is God himself. And God opened Lydia's eyes. And it was a beautiful thing. And, and we don't know exactly who all her household was, but, but since she had this business, it could be that that she had some workers there with her. You know, they didn't have factories back then, so, so the work would have happened in her own household. And, and it says that, that all in her household, they, they were baptized. That means they believed in Jesus Christ. They put their hope and their faith in, in Christ. They could put credence to their faith, and they were baptized. They were right next to the river. That's where they gathered to pray, and they were baptized. And there was great joy at this prayer meeting. Paul and Timothy... Silas and Luke, they were there praying together. Paul's preaching the gospel. God opens Lydia's heart. And in opening her heart, it seems like God opened her home. Because right after this, you know, she said, hey, if you think that I'm a worthy lady, come on to my house and I want to put you up and I want to, I want to put my love for Jesus in action by, by opening myself to you guys and, and opening my home in such a way that I, I want my home to be a resource and to be used for the purposes of the kingdom. And, and, and it says that she prevailed upon them in verse 15. She prevailed upon them so they went and stayed. God opened the eyes and then open the heart of Lydia. That's scene number one. Second thing we see here, being faithful to God's mission will bring both joy and suffering. Being faithful to God's mission will bring both great joy and real suffering. It will. When Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were traveling to that Riverside prayer meeting. So uh, in the narrative here, he goes back just for a moment. And he says, when they were traveling there, they encountered a slave girl. Now, what do we know about this poor soul? This poor girl was trapped in actually two different ways. She was trapped in her own body because she didn't, she didn't have the ability to do what she wanted. She, she had to do the will of her, her master. So she was trapped in that way. She was trapped in a second way, though, because she was possessed by an evil spirit, by a demon. So this poor soul, this slave girl had, verse 16 says, a spirit of divination. She was a fortune teller, uh, a sin, by the way, that is declared in Scripture to be an abomination to the Lord. Sorcery, fortune telling, communication with the dead. These are things that are 
abominable practices to the Lord. Uh, scripture in numerous places declares that. So, so what was happening in her body was that not only was she mastered by people, she was mastered by this evil spirit. In these practices of fortune telling, however, her masters were making a lot of money. They were, they were raking it in. And, and so as this woman followed Paul and, and his gang, uh, day after day, it says, she was calling out. Now, what she was saying was actually true because uh, she said they were servants of the Most High God. Okay, that's true. Uh, they were proclaiming the way of salvation. That's also true. But she must have been doing it in a way that everyone knew uh, she wasn't exactly on their side because she had a demon in her, and that demon is never going to be on the side of the Lord. So she was doing it in some sort of harassing way. In verse 18, it says that Paul became greatly annoyed day after day after day of this. And um, I, you know, I just did a little reading on that because it sounds like Paul is just ticked off. And, and uh, I don't think that that the ticked, if he was ticked off, I, I didn't get to the original and, and have a talk with Paul. But, you know, what, what I did get was in the original language, this, this word also meant deeply grieved. And my guess, because Paul is a, is a man of God, he wasn't ticked off at the girl. In fact, he was deeply grieved at what was happening in her body. She had no control in that sense, over herself. And so, and so it was an act of love when Paul, deeply annoyed, deeply grieved at what was happening with this poor soul, he turned to her and he speaks not to her, he speaks directly to the, the Spirit and he says this, I command you in the name of Christ Jesus to come out of her. And what happens, the power of God is made evident through the name of Jesus Christ as this evil spirit then comes out and, and leaves her. And while we're not told, we have, we have no indication of how this girl responded, I would tend to believe that, that after being moved by the power of God, this girl is going to be impressed by the power of God itself. I have to believe that if I was possessed by a, a demon... And this demon made me say things and, and brought me to places that I didn't want to go. And, and all of a sudden, by the power of God, this demon left me. And, and now I had myself back. I could only imagine what that would do to me. I wouldn't be passive and say, hey, thanks. I think I'd be changed. I think I would at least be intrigued by the power that rescued me from this misery. And so while we can't say for certain how this slave girl responded, what, what does seem very likely is that her, her heart was inclined toward God. Her, her heart, maybe God used her to help establish this church that, that at this point right now is not established in Philippi. Maybe God used her in a powerful way. We, we don't know, but I wonder if that couldn't be the case. While we don't know what happened to her, we do know what happened to her masters. Uh, now their source of revenue and income is gone because she can't any longer uh, speak fortunes for them. And so what they do is they drag Paul and Silas in particular before the magistrates. Why Paul and Silas in particular? Because they are Jewish citizens. They're Romans as well. 
but their background is in Jewish. So they leave Timothy and Luke uh, to the side. They didn't bother with them. They said, these people are Jews and they're stirring up our country. They're stirring up our nation. They're call- causing difficulty among us. And they stirred up the crowd. They stirred up the crowd to such a degree that the magistrates, it seemed, just get carried along with the crowd. And these magistrates, again, they are they're Roman authorities designed to keep rule and order in Philippi. These, these magistrates, they, they take their clothes off. I mean, off of Paul and Silas. Maybe just their shirts. We don't know. But, but they derobe them somehow, un, undoubtedly to humiliate them, and then order that they be beaten with rods. Now, in, in Jerusalem, if you're beaten with rods uh, or beaten in some ways, uh, you know that, that the most you can get is 39 blows um, because you know, 40 minus 1, that was the rule. Uh, they're not in Jerusalem anymore. So we don't know how many times those rods came down on the backs of these faithful men Um, But it says, after they had received many, many blows, they took them and threw them into prison. And what did they do once they were in prison? Did they say, okay, here's your room? No, notice, they put them in stocks, their feet in stocks. Now, if you're, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be dramatic for dramatic sake. I'm just trying to paint the picture here. If your back is lacerated and wounded and beaten with many blows and then you go into likely um, a jail cell carved out of stone and your feet are then fastened to the floor, you can't control how your body moves. You might want to switch positions and try to make yourself comfortable. So they add insult to injury by fastening their feet to the floor. Yet... Notice how Paul and Silas respond. I, I, can hardly, I can hardly believe this, but I do believe it. They are beaten unjustly. They're suffering uh, for doing good to a demon-possessed lady. They are in jail. They are in stocks. They are in great suffering. And what is the disposition, dear friends, of their hearts? Are, are they sitting there in that jail saying, God, you've forgotten us. God, we obey you, and this is how you reward us? God, I don't want to follow you if this is what it means, if, if when we do what you say, this is how the reward comes. No, there was, there was no sense of self-pity or, God, you've been unfaithful. In fact, it says about midnight, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing man i want to get with these two guys in heaven it's like how did you do that how can you suffer to that degree and this be the 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 response of your heart i mean you're you're suffering so much and what you do is you praise the lord How, how how is that possible um it's possible because they, they located, it, it's got to be this, they located their joy, not in their circumstances, but they located their joy in the Lord. That's the only thing I can come up with here. Their joy was in the Lord, not in their circumstances. So w- what I mean to say to you and to me is this morning, if, if you know the Lord, 
if you have been redeemed and forgiven by the Lord, if you have the hope of your sins having been forgiven and the hope of eternal heaven before you this morning, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of my circumstances, we can rejoice in the Lord. We can. Is it true? Can you say amen to that? We can rejoice this morning. I'm not suggesting it's easy. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we do have the ability to, because if we can locate our joy not in our circumstances, some of you are walking through circumstances that are really difficult. Really difficult. And rejoicing may seem to you like quite a foreign concept right now. But you can. Not on the authority of the preacher. You can rejoice today. Because you can locate your joy in the Lord alone. Not in the stuff that's going on in your life. Man, you know when I read this, dear friends, I want to just bring you into my heart. Like I, I, I just have hope. Because it doesn't matter in one sense what is happening to me, my physical body, the circumstances around me. That, that doesn't matter for my rejoicing because God has enabled us all to locate our joy in him. Therefore, we can, we can rejoice. Let me illustrate in one way. You know because I illustrate this maybe too often, but... I love Corey Ten Boom. I love her story. You know what I'm going to say. How could it be, and this is very sobering, with a world uh, in conflict right now, with brothers and sisters in Ukraine and potentially surrounding countries as well, in great fear, in suffering, how could Corey and Betsy Tenboom rejoice in the Lord at Ravensbrook when tens of thousands of others around them, their fellow countrymen and countrywomen, are, are being executed? How? How could they rejoice? How could Betsy in particular rejoice in the fleas that were in the mattresses at Ravensbrook, because her joy was not located in her easy circumstances, but her joy was located in the Lord himself. Because if you remember the story, the fleas in the mattresses were what kept the guards out of their barracks. Therefore, they weren't being pillaged and so forth by the guards and They were able to hold Bible studies. And so these two women, giants in the faith in my eyes, could rejoice even even in these circumstances because their eyes were on the Lord. (laughs) Oh, God, help us to keep our eyes on you, right? Is that your heart response to this? Lord, help me. Help me to... In the midst of circumstances that I don't want. In the midst of of serving the Lord and actually doing what he says. He he commissions us to go with this gospel. And we we actually take risk and we, we share the gospel with someone. And they just 
spit it back in our face? Can we have joy in those moments? Absolutely we can because of this very truth. See, Jesus says it very simply this way. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, dear church. Take heart. Why? Because he's overcome the world. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is, this is his last meeting with his disciples. This is John 16, right before he goes to the cross. He wants to, to communicate to them and to us by preserving it for us that, that we will have tribulation in this world. That we will encounter times of great difficulty in following Christ, in obeying Christ, in doing what he's asking us to do, and we find difficulty. You know, here, here's my reality. Sometimes I can think, Lord, I'm doing what you want. How about, like, make it a little easy for me? In the world, you're going to have tribulation. In the world, you're going to have this. As, like Pilgrim... Christian, excuse me, on, on Pilgrim's Progress, as he's making his way bit by bit to the celestial city and he's walking with joy and, and experiencing victory in the Lord, what is also true while he's experiencing victory in the Lord is he is encountering difficulty from time to time. And he's walking through the slough of despond and he may be in other places and he experiences grace and he experiences joy along the journey, not defeat, while there is tribulation at times. And so what do I, what do I think this means for us? I, I think it means, dear church, take heart. The Lord has overcome. It means take heart. The victory is ours. Yes, there will be tribulation. And so we don't focus on the tribulation. We focus on the Lord. We say, Lord, help me to be faithful to you. Help me to be faithful to you. While I focus on you, uh, and when those tribulations come, you and I, we have the ability, like Paul and like Silas, it may feel like our backs are beaten. It may feel like we're in stocks. It may feel like, boy, all we're doing here is obeying the Lord. I thought the way of the righteous prosper. Well, the way of the righteous do prosper. The pathway of that prospering may take twists and turns that we didn't anticipate. So we take heart because we know the one who has overcome the world. God is, God is opening the hearts of people. God is at work so that in the gospel mission there is going to be joy. Uh, praise the Lord, there's joy. There's going to be suffering. That's also true. And thirdly, eternal hope comes to those who trust in Christ. We see this in the jailer. So Paul and Silas in prison and in stocks are praying and rejoicing in the Lord what's going on in that prison. Um, well, other people are hearing them as they rejoice. And undoubtedly, they were all taking notice. I mean, word, word travels fast in a prison. Who are these guys? What are they doing? Oh, they were just beaten. Now they're, they're bloodied and bruised and they're in stocks. And, and what are they doing? But they're, they're praying and they're, they're singing to the Lord. And I don't think this was some small little kumbaya. Like they were declaring the greatness of God even in the midst of these things. And God sent an earthquake. God 
It, it would seem to me he's just responding to the faith that he sees in operation. And, and he sends an earthquake and, and, and their bonds are broken and they're able to go free. And, and this jailer who's responsible for them, what does he do? He, he is aroused from his own slumber and he takes a survey and stock of what's happening. And he surmises, well, everyone who would, would be able to go free is going to go free. And therefore, he draws his own sword. And in a suicidal moment, in a moment of despair, he's ready to do himself in because he knew he'd be held liable for those prisoners. And Paul and Silas, I don't know if he was in their direct eyesight, somehow they knew that this was happening and they called out to him. And they said, no, 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 don't do it. We're here. We're all here. I want you to notice, by the way, the grace again on Paul and Silas we praise the Lord of, of Paul and Silas, but, but notice what they don't do. They count ministry to the soul of an individual who is their keeper. They count ministry to that guy better than their own freedom. I mean, you're in stocks, you're in prison. They didn't know how long they were going to be in prison. They didn't know that the next day they were going to get released from jail. They had no idea. They, for all they knew, they could be there for the rest of their lives. God sends this earthquake. He opens their bonds. They're like, whoa, hey, we're out of here. And see you, jailer. We don't care about you. We're going to get free. No, what do they do? They stay. They imprison themselves by staying and ministering to this guy. I mean, these guys are like, whew, if only I could have a heart like that. They stay, they count ministry and care for other people as more important than their own freedom. They desire to minister grace to this guy. He turns to them, he comes to them, he hears their cry, he comes, he fumbles his way, finds his way to them and says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Undoubtedly, he had heard their prayers, the songs of salvation that they sang to the Lord. And now in his utter desperation, about ready to end his own physical life, he asked them how to be saved. And again, what's their answer? Uh, the same gospel answer that we proclaim as well. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Praise the Lord. That's their message. That's it. The jailer believes he brings them to his house verse 32 and they spoke the word of the lord to him and to all who were in his house and they all believe and he was baptized at once he and all his family i mean this is just a, the move of the holy spirit upon this place and upon these hearts they're they're rejoicing verse 34 and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I mean, this was a deep and abiding, a spiritual rejoicing that now he's free from his own prison, the prison of sin that he had endured. And now he's free and he rejoiced in God. And his whole family believed and they were all baptized. And again, just like with Lydia, it's interesting to see this. When God opens the heart up, until, uh, up to salvation, you know what he does? He opens our homes. He opens our lives. What is... What does this jailer do? He brings them to his house. He sets food before them and feeds them. He, he washes their back. He washes the back that has just been broken 
but the very back that brought to him the message of salvation. His stripes, his own stripes had just been cleansed by the mercy of Christ. And so what does he do? But he applies a balm to the stripes of his friends. He loves them. His heart's been changed. He now lives for somebody else. His heart has been transformed. Do you see it? It's glorious. Only God can do that. Only God. And so you see this, this joy in being together. This joy of the gospel that, that as God saves Lydia, someone who had things going on. I mean, she, she was, she was a, a woman of means. God, God moves on her and opens her heart and, and now she's saved and, and her house actually becomes a hub of activity for the Lord and, and, and it's like, I mean, it's believed that the church in Philippi, at least for some time, met there at her house. And so her heart's changed. We see the, the slave girl who's enslaved not only to a master on earth, but a master from the demonic realm. And, and her heart has changed, uh, we would imagine. We don't, again, know that. But it just seems like in the narrative, that's what Luke is trying to do, paint a picture of God saving individuals and then placing them in the church. And now we have a whole family, the jailer, his master is no longer the magistrate. His master is King Jesus. His heart's been changed. It's been awakened to grace and mercy. And now he washes the wounds of those who come. And, and what we see here, dear friends, is the church being formed. A new church being established. There was not a church in Philippi. By the way, these are the very same people to whom Paul, when he writes the letter to the Philippians... You know who he's writing to? These people. These people in this church because this was the foundational work for that church. So these people, redeemed by the grace of Christ, become the foundation of the church in Philippi. And, and it seems like you know there's some time that's going on here. Uh, by the end of the chapter, it says this. When they had been released from prison, they went to Lydia's house. They... They encouraged them and they departed. So there were some brothers in the faith as well as the church was established for the glory of God. Now where do I think this brings us home to? Do you see what God is doing? As he redeems people, he puts them in a, in a collection of people for his glory. It's called the church. And we have an amazing privilege. What we do here on, on Sunday morning, February 27th, isn't just, hey, I'm just going to church. No, you, if you know Christ, you are part of the redeemed people of God together, walking together and loving one another and opening our lives to one another so that we might be an outpost of God's mission in this land so that we would be reflective of the mercy that God has shown to us. So we're not just coming to church, friends. We're part of the mission of God. As he's redeeming people from every tribe and nation and tongue, and he does it one person at a time. So let me draw your attention to that person that may be on your one life card. You know, you might think, this is just one life. What difference can one life make? all the difference in the world because God is 
drawing people to himself. And then he positions them in the church that we have joy in being together. The mission of God, dear friends, what we see through these three people, the mission of God is rolling on. God is drawing. God is moving. God is building his kingdom. And he's using people like Lydia, like the jailer, people like you and me to establish and build and plant and accomplish his purposes. Do you see your place in the kingdom of God this morning? I hope you do, because he can use all of us for his purposes. Let me, let me invite the worship team to come back onto the stage and join me. We're, we're going to go back into that song, you know, because there, there's something about this reality that I, I just think of focus on the worthiness of Christ. So we're going to sing that song again. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our, all of our joy in the Lord? Absolutely he is. is. Is Christ worthy to suffer stripes? Absolutely he is. Is he worthy? I mean, the context of the song is who is worthy to open the scrolls? Well, there's only one who's worthy, and it's Christ himself. And so let me just remind us as we close and as we draw our hearts together in worship to our Lord, what does he do? God, God opens the hearts of people to himself. He loves to do this. This is God's activity. So let us, as a, as a church, as a, a people, let us be faithful to speak the truthful message of the gospel. God's the one that opens the hearts. Secondly, being faithful to the mission will mean that you will walk in joy. It also means that there will be days of trial. There will be sufferings as we are faithful to speak the word of truth. There will be challenges along the way. But we have joy because we locate our joy in Christ himself. And thirdly, eternal hope, eternal hope comes to those who trust in Christ. Would you stand with me for a moment?